and welcome back to another episode of the Media Boat Podcast, your weekly episodes for us talking about movies, TV, music, and video games, not necessarily in that order. My name is Mike. His name is Matt. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. Thank you for joining us. This is August the 1st. 2023 this is episode 394 394 we're cooking what are we going to do for episode 400 uh i don't know (laughs) (laughs) what we usually do but we're here we're august 1st to celebrate taylor swift's song august yes we do (laughs) yes me me behind them all let's talk about all sorts of things today we got a lot uh, a lot of thoughts not a whole lot of news but what news is there is weird, so we'll get to it. Oh, we'll get there. Uh, but yeah, welcome to the Mutable Podcast. As you said, this is episode 394, and let's get rolling because we got a lot of thoughts we got to get into. So yes, we're going to start, as we always do, with the music section, start the music section with the billboard, and start the billboard with the Hot 100. Yes. And your number one hottest song in the land is Try That in a Small Town by Jason Aldean. Followed by at number two, the number two himself, Last Night by Morgan <laughs> Wallen. Then at three, Fast Car by Luke Combs. At four, Fukumin by Gunna. And rounding out your top five, Calm Down by Rima and Selena Gomez. Couple notes about this one. One, yes, try that in a small town after being at number two last week, moves up and finally gets that number one spot, potentially because of the controversy. Um, Second note is this is the first time since 1998 that three country songs have occupied the top three of the Hot 100. It's unfortunate Uh, that it has to be these guys. Taylor Swift. What? And we're not counting Taylor Swift in those occupations? No, because those were not country songs. (laughs) <laughs> no but yeah um it's unfortunate that that milestone has to be with these dudes but what are you gonna do is it uh, are you more upset that it's with these dudes or is it that with these songs i mean both can i say both you Speaking, can say both um just and a note we don't have a billboard 200 right now and the reason why is because quote a processing issue according to the billboard twitter account Um, It will be posted and announced tomorrow, but unfortunately that means we do not have a new 200 to give you guys today. Um, Let's see. Did you see if it was fixed yet? Uh, As of when I checked this morning, it was still off. Let me see if Billboard has a story. No, it's still last week's. Okay. Uh, What happened to 7? So the chart that's on the 100 has also not been updated. I had to reference the new top five from a news story. Oh, the that news Billboard story posted. that they Billboard does. Yeah, Both okay. charts will be refreshed tomorrow, but for the purposes mm. of this podcast, all I have is the Hot 100. So. All right. Yeah. So that's what happened with uh, BTS's. Yes. Okay. Well, Billboard 200, we will resume next okay. week then. But... If you don't like any of those albums, we have new releases. This is sort of <laughs> starting with Prestige by Girl Ray, Rocket Power by Quavo, 
not that rocket power, but no. yes, that Quavo. <laughs> and Automatic by Rick Springfield. Yes, that Rick Springfield. Yep. Putting out songs. Well, there was so much happening in the music world this past week that we couldn't just settle on one story or two stories. Nah, we got the bits this bits. week. The bits, the bits, starting with Muse. Yes, the band replaces a song with profanity. Uh, uh replaces song with profanity with song overtly about social uprising for its upcoming Malaysia tour stop. So yes, you're probably thinking, is this a follow up to the 1975 story? And you bet it is. Yes, it is. Here's what happened. So. The 1975 we talked about last week got kicked out basically because they uh, made some statements about um, uh, same-sex relationships in a country that has banned them. Uh, since then, the 19 or the uh, Muse um, announced that they were also going to have a tour stop in Malaysia. To which the 1975s Maddie Healy made a statement about being like, "Well, then you guys like." be careful kind of basically more or less well muse's response to that was oh well we're dropping a song or they they announced that they were going to be dropping a song that involved uh had a profanity in the title and had it repeated throughout the song and so initially the reaction was like wait what what are they doing well later they said oh don't worry we're replacing that song with a song that's specifically about an uprising against your government <laughs> you see what they're doing so basically yes looked for a second that they're you know doing a cop out but no in reality what they're trying to do is they're probably also going to get kicked out well i mean the title the tour is called will of the people yeah <laughs> you can't really you know what you're gonna get to it's just yet another example of if they were going to like why would they put them on the the, the lineup here if they knew like if they knew if they had listened to any of their songs and sure enough here we are again to be fair, they're, t the track that they're replacing it with, Resistance, is a better song. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> but yeah, also, it's about maybe don't listen to your government. <laughs> so, you know, with, the, with lines such as, they will not control us. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It, yes, very apt. So yeah, right. we'll see how that turns out for them. Okay, uh, but things may not turn out too well for our next story, yeah. as Lizzo is in some trouble as former Lizzo backup dancers file a joint suit against her uh against alleged sexual harassment and weight shaming okay so this one dropped among today. other yeah yes. this was today this happened today and basically um, a lot of the case surrounds a visit to a strip club in which um Lizzo was uh, purportedly and allegedly um forced and cajoled her dancers to do things that they were uncomfortable with. This also uh, ties into experiences both on tour and both in um, the reality show she helmed um, mm -hmm. where people were, like, contestants were pressured by judges and Lizzo herself in some uh, cases um, to either lose or gain weight depending on their situation. Um, so it's kind of a combination of a lot of different experiences that all these dancers went through. And so they're filing a joint suit. Um, Lizzo has not made comment about this yet. Um, but yeah, we'll, I'll imagine that going forward, we'll have to hear something from uh, Lizzo's side. 
uh, I'm curious to see what's to be said because it's interesting given that Lizzo's entire image is built around self-expression and boundaries and especially pride over body image. And these allegations seem to put doubt in all of those things and makes you wonder what's happening behind closed doors with Lizzo. Uh, but yeah, uh, nonetheless, it's an interesting story. And yeah, Lizzo doesn't come out looking great about it. No, the suit also alleges that it's between her, her production company, and the uh, main lead choreographer and uh, yeah. dancer. Yeah. Who was also a judge on said reality competition. That's the judge I mentioned. But yeah, mm -hmm. um, so it seems like it's not just Lizzo here, but because it's her name on all of these things, it does come to her. And ultimately, the buck stops at her. And so, yeah, uh, we'll see what her camp has to say about this and how far the suit will go. Reading through it, it did, uh, at least for me, feel like it was, was meant to be like a team bonding experience in Amsterdam, but yeah. also went too far, especially when you don't tell people exactly yeah. where you're going. And then, as you mentioned, pressuring them to do things that they are probably not comfortable with. Yeah, it really seems to hinge on boundaries. And these dancers uh, just seem to have felt like they were pressured beyond where they were comfortable. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, let's see here. In other news, in more uh, high-end news, I guess. <laughs> Positive news. Positive news. Uh, Olivia Rodrigo has announced the track list for Guts. Do you have it? <laughs> Are we going to do that every time? No, it being the track list. Do you have it? <laughs> I, I don't have it right now, but I have a few names for it. Okay, for, some for of the uh, titles for Guts <laughs> includes All-American Bitch, The Grudge, <laughs> and Teenage Dream. Yeah, I picked and choose, chosen those three <laughs> because I thought they were funny, but um, there's a lot more on there as well. But yeah, um, it really makes you think about what these songs are going to sound like. I'm especially curious about The Grudge. <laughs> Is it just her going, Music videos is her climbing out of a well. <laughs> yeah, well saying. Uh... Anyway. It's more Billie Eilish. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a Billie Eilish. Also, All American Bitch sounds like a Lana Del Rey B-side. I'm really curious about that. <laughs> All right. I guess we'll find uh, out. Okay. Hey, uh, remember how we were talking about Vegas a couple of weeks ago? Yes. Uh, well, we're back in Vegas because Cardi B is now the subject to a Las Vegas battery case after throwing her microphone into a crowd <sighs> after having a drink thrown at her. So this is the continuing story about how people keep throwing shit at performers. Well, Cardi B mm -hmm. wasn't going to take it. She took a, a page from Adele's book and retaliated. Except I thought you were I... going to say from D. Snyder's. Both. I mean, both, I guess. But uh, but yes, so she ended up throwing her microphone into the crowd. So a battery case was later filed by someone who says that that microphone hit them. It is not clear in which that the person that the microphone hit was the same person who threw the drink. Not part of the case. Regardless, the person who hit by, hit by, got hit by the microphone when Cardi B uh, threw it is now fi filing a battery case against Cardi B. So... We'll see where the city takes this. I, again, Cardi B's camp has not said, made a statement about this yet, but uh, we'll see what happens. 
It's also not a he said, she said, because there's video evidence of right. this happening. Somebody got hit. I mean, if you throw a microphone into the, the, the crowd, a crowd that's probably pretty tightly packed, you're going to hit somebody. That's just it's also it not, works. I'm going to throw it up and it's going to toss. No, it was purposely no. thrown as anger at a person. So like you said, unclear on whether Cardi got her target or not. But regardless, she probably shouldn't have done that. Uh, but also, stop throwing shit at performers. Mm -hmm. Both of those things can be true. Cardi probably shouldn't have retaliated. But also, person shouldn't have thrown her drink, uh, their drink. And yeah, it, it, there's people... There's bad choices make, being uh, made on both sides here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do not throw drinks at performers, even if you are in the pit. Don't throw anything. Just don't no. throw things. You're not five. Yeah. You shouldn't be five at a Cardi B concert. I don't think a five-year-old should be at a Cardi B concert. That's correct. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of concerts, concert uh, got canceled is Travis Scott's. Pyramid concert. It was officially canceled. This is his concert yes. that was supposed to happen in front of the pyramids of Giza. Yeah. Officially canceled. But there is a new concert by Travis Scott that will be happening this week, next week. I think it's next week. Uh happening in Rome instead. Yeah. Of course, you know, there's a lot of things in play here. One reputation of Travis Scott and his concerts uh, still is a big question mark about whether or not people are comfortable going to them again. Number two, there was already controversy around the pyramid uh, situation with the Egyptian government being like, I don't think we want this to happen. Uh, so ultimately, it didn't happen. Uh, but yeah, uh, part of his new album, Euphoria, uh, one of the Utopia. songs is called Utopia. Euphoria. Euphoria later. <laughs> Uh, one of the songs is called, uh, was it Maximus something? Maximus Circus. And so he's going to be doing a yeah. concert in Rome uh, promoting his new album, yeah. which we didn't listen to. No, I listened to one song off of it. I did not listen to the whole thing. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, speaking <laughs> of stuff we didn't listen to, try that in a small town. Uh, the music video has apparently been edited to remove footage of Black Lives Matter protests, but that was not cleared. Or sorry, no. the clips were not cleared. And that's why they were removed. So basically it only removed they only removed about, I think, six seconds of footage from the video. It's not due to, you know, criticism of the video. It was just due to the fact that I guess the images that they used for from the Black Lives Matter protests in the scene where in which they're projected onto um I believe the courthouse, like a courthouse. Um, so they were not cleared by their source before they were put into the video. So their source contacted them once the video went out, went up and said, hey, you guys didn't clear this. You have to clear this. And instead of getting it cleared, they were just like, eh, it's fine. They just trimmed that part out of the video. So still weird. But that's what they want you to think. Dude, it's conspiracy mm, theory time. Who knows? Who knows with those guys? But yeah. Um, well, I mean, they're the guys who would be listening to this song. So yeah. As we mentioned last week, it's been pulled from CMT, but you can still see it on YouTube. Yep. And lastly, in Music Bits, the one you are very most excited about, yeah. uh, the band Mitski has officially announced a new album set for September 15th. 
Well, the person, Mitski. Um, yeah, she. Uh, yeah, she announced that this is this is her new project. Wait, isn't Mitski a band? Well, I mean, she has ba- She has a backing band, but that is okay. really just her stage name. Okay. Anyway. Anyways, yeah, new album coming out. Yeah. So there you go. Those are the music bits. All right. Um, did you listen to anything? I did. Uh, and we're going to talk about them. <laughs> I listened to a handful of things. So um, where should we start? Probably with the shorties first. Okay, let's start with the shortest thing here. Uh, the Haley Winters EP, yeah. I'm in Love, which yeah, is this... six songs, but really it's five songs. <laughs> this came out of nowhere. I wasn't aware that she was going to put out an EP. And there it was waiting for me in the new music section of Apple Music. And I was pleasantly surprised. Um. I like this better than the last record. I thought that all the songs here are really strong. I like when Haley is in happy mode, and this is definitely Haley in happy mode. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, As the title suggests, it seems like she is um, in a good spot in a new relationship, and it comes across in the music. I really liked what was here. Um, And yeah, I had a good time with it. It's fun. I really like the single off of it, uh, I'm in Love. Uh, but she also does have the last song on there that's a repeat from the previous one on Raised. Yeah, I'm not sure why that's here. Uh, I don't there, know. Uh, there was no change. There's no tempo change. I thought it'd be like an acoustic version. Or No, it's exactly or, the same no. song. Yeah. I don't wonder if that's a streaming strategy thing. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's maybe it's a current. Maybe she's decided that's a single. And so maybe that's why it's included here. There was a single before that's always on the previous album. Don't ask me. I don't know. I'm just coming up with solutions here. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, it yeah. is a uh, a fun like summer love bop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the title track "I'm in Love" is definitely a hit, and Good I stuff. look forward to more Haley Winters. Yeah, but uh, not a whole lot to say about it. Yeah. Like I said, it's only like six songs. Yeah. Meanwhile, what's not six songs? As <laughs> which one? Where do you want to go, Austin? Uh, yeah, we should probably talk about Post Malone. Right. Oops, let's wrong about, title. Let's let's go to Austin the, and talk hey, about Post that's Malone. Not what it says. Sorry, hold on. My right. thing is, while you, you figure out your Chiron, we're going to talk about Post Malone. <laughs> so this is his fifth st- official studio album. The Chiron's broken. <laughs> uh, by Post Malone, and this first one since having a kid, having a daughter. So there we go. It's all. You figured it out. Yay. Anyway. Anyways. Uh Pokemon. We I don't think we've we've ever like actually reviewed a full album on here, have we? I don't know if we have. Maybe. I don't think I have. Yeah, I don't think uh, you have. No. I think I talked about 24 karat toothache last year. Well, it was also kind of everywhere too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's back. He's uh, his first album in uh, over a year, and it's being hailed as a very personal album. <laughs> I say it's being hailed because <laughs> <laughs> didn't feel all that personal to me. Yeah, Post Malone is fascinating. That is what <laughs> that is ultimately what I feel about him. He is such a weird figure in pop music because I feel like. What he wants to do with his music is so at odds with what everybody expects him to do 
And I feel like you can hear that struggle, that tension in his records. In last year's 24 Karat Toothcake and here on Austin. It's an album that wants to do two very different things and it wants to do them both at the same time. He wants so badly to be a pop artist. He wants to write pop songs. He wants them to be driven by guitar that he plays and he wants you to know that he's playing it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he also feels like he needs to maintain this persona, this Post Malone persona, in which he is still a rapper, in which he is still hard, quote unquote. And so he has to remind you, even on the softer songs, that he owns a lot of cars and he does a lot of drugs. These things coexist in weird ways. And I think never like as much is there that tension if like like as much as it is on Austin. Like in the same song, he can tell you how he is feeling like he's not feeling confident. He's depressed and he doesn't have friends and he's drinking alcohol by himself. And also mention, oh, yeah, but my Bentley in my garage is really awesome. And I can um, do sexual favors for a woman very well. It's like, okay, cool, but I'm getting mixed messages here, Post. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is that I also, I, that, that tension is also how I feel about the songs. Like, I feel like when he's in pop mode, I feel like he's pretty good at it. I kept thinking throughout this whole thing, I'm like, I wonder if we existed. Well, first, the first thought I had was, I wonder if he is writing, like, pop stuff for other artists on the slide like is this like i feel like he'd be pretty good in that position so i went to his Mm -hmm. wikipedia and checked if this is something that he does apparently not apparently he just writes for himself um and there is no sort of side projects that he's working with with other artists and so i wondered what if we lived in an alternate universe in which post malone just became a songwriter and like he did, like he didn't really focus on the, the the solo career. I feel like he'd be a pretty good person to have collaborate with, like a Taylor Swift or like an Ariana Grande or like. I feel like he could do some good work working with other artists, but for whatever reason, he doesn't do it. Uh, because I think the pop songs here are the best songs here. I like when he goes. I like the opening acoustic number. I felt I got um, that the I I thought this before the Pitchfork review, so I want to say this was not. Mm-hmm. I want to stop people before they think I'm stealing this. I got like Nirvana unplugged vibes from it. It sounded like a Kurt Cobain style. Like I'm just going to sit with my acoustic guitar and like, just tell us sing a song about myself. I was like, cool, cool way to open an album. I'm feeling this. Like, this is cool. And then immediately the next song was like, Oh wait, no post Malone is here. Like, and he wants to remind everybody that he's still post Malone. And there's little beats, bits and pieces throughout the record that I'm like, this is all right. This has got a good hook. This has got a bridge. Like there's something happening here melodically. And then it just goes back to another song where he's rapping and you lose that kind of vibe. I'm not saying that there isn't a value in the rap music that he makes. I think that there's a reason why those are his big hits. He knows what works for him. He knows where his bread is buttered and he still has those songs here. But part of me is like, your strengths are so varied let's get more of where your strengths are and so to me it's disappointing that it feels like a ping pong ball i wish that he would stick to a lane and stay instead of feeling like he needs to be all things to all people i think you're right there because those first like three or four songs Mm -hmm. definitely did hit with me i think they're also hitting with me in like the inner middle school high schooler in me that's like hey remember how you used to feel like this (laughs) 
Remember how like these were your big problems in life? Yeah. Well, you've grown up now, but you can still have those feelings deep in thing. You saw those thoughts on it. And so that's where like um don't understand and like chemical both like hit with me like right, yeah. right off the bat, around the first I was like, wait, do I like this album? Do I like Plus Below <laughs> now? Is this good? And then it kept going. And then that's where it lost me. And you're right, it does yeah. go into the kind of that very mixed messages, especially um one of those songs where he's talking about like how lonely he feels, like he's how he's drinking, but then he still has his girl that he wants to <laughs> like call and hook up with. Yeah. He's like, but if you can call her, like, are you really that alone then? Yeah. And I think that that's, that's post Malone in a, in a nutshell right now, which is that he feels like he wants to express himself as this creative artist who can branch out and do things besides rap music. But he also feels like he needs to keep the persona while he does that. And I do think he's restrained by it. Um, again, I don't think there's anything bad with just being a rapper. Plenty of rappers are great. But his talents are so specific. Like, yeah, I feel like he's, it's not necessarily a waste of talent. I feel like it's just a misattribution of how his talent is used. And it leads to a confusing and all over the place record. Um, and also, Let's be real. It's too long. It falls into that streaming problem, which is you know that he's trying to get those numbers up, but it's bloated as a as a result, and it just feels like seventeen it just, songs, one yeah. hour, and so it feels like th there's diminishing returns. Too many songs that kind of do the same thing too many times, but that's where he's at right now. And I'm really curious if we do get a post Malone at some point that just says, "No, for reals, this is my rock album." I'm interested to see what that would sound like. But we'll see. This is not that. As much as he'd like you to believe it is, it's not. No. So that's right. fine. It like I said, those first couple songs, good, worth a listen. You'll you'll find some of those in the top hundred. Uh beyond that, it does get to try and play the streaming numbers. You're right. Yeah. All right. Uh, but you did listen to one other song or one other album. Yes. Did you did you check this out? No, because when I found out that it was a side B, I did not check it out. Oh, but that's the thing, though, is that Carly's side Bs are always great. So this is Carly Rae Jepsen. Uh, last year, I think it was last year, she put yes. out the lovely, the loneliest, the loneliest time. time. Yes. So Her yes, first album in a, quite a while, and here mm -hmm. she is yet again with another side B album, the loveliest time. So yeah, the thing with side the Carly side B's is that they always sound like that they're going to be like extra material. She always sells them as that, but they always mm -hmm. end up having a like an interesting hook to them that makes them a different give them a different vibe than the, the album that preceded it. And I'm happy to say that that's true here too. Um, these are not outtakes; these are fully fleshed out songs that I'm going to be honest. I think I enjoyed more than the last record. Um, yeah, I think The Loveliest Time is maybe more enjoyable than The Loneliest Time. And I think the reason is, is that it's, we're getting more of dance pop Carly than we did on The Loneliest Time. When we talked about it last year, I think we were a little divided with our reaction to it. I think you mm -hmm. ended up liking it more than I did. And, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And I think the reason for that was I didn't really like when she would, when she decided to make some left turns. There were one too many uh, moments on that record where I felt like she was going out of her comfort zone in a bad way. 
and doing things in kind of other genre adjacent stuff that I didn't really think was great for her. And this doesn't really have that many moments of that happening. This is more of her in her lane, flourishing, as they say. And yeah, I think it's a good time. Uh, there's a lot of fun dance stuff here. There's some experiments, but I think they're experiments that work in her favor. For example, she kind of leans into a little bit of like kind of a breakbeat kind of drum and bass kind of vibe. She experiments with some different EDM style sounds that she's never experimented before with before, with I think actually works for her. There aren't as many ballads here. She goes back to the emotion uh, formula, which is just, let's just do the one. And yeah, and it's still good. Even, and it's and it balances out the danciness of the rest of the record. There's even a song later in the album that sounds like Sleigh Bells. Remember Sleigh Bells? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like, it's it's a cool, I think it's a cool vibe. I think overall, it's a really fun summary dance record. That improves on, I think, where she was at the loneliest time. Um, I really liked it. Okay. So, I mean, this is also probably the first, I think it's the first side B album that she hasn't really labeled as side yeah. B. Right. She's not calling to, uh, it side Emotion B. and dedicated. And I think that, that that stands as how much she feels like this is speaks for itself. She's in interviews this week saying that she believes this is her strongest album to date. So it doesn't matter if it's side B's. She's that confident in what she's releasing here. And I see why. Because it really, really does sound great. I definitely recommend you checking this out. I think you'll like a lot of the songs here. I especially recommend, if you listen to one and one only, check out Psychedelic Switch. It is Disco Carly at her best. So I recommend it. Okay. I mean, I'll probably listen to the whole thing, but yeah. I'll... <laughs> yeah. I'll check it out. Uh, just didn't get around time to it. Yeah, but uh, I had to choose between Carly Rae and Post Malone, and appears I chose poorly. You did choose poorly, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, but what can hey, you do? Um, I can tell myself to make more time for Carly, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> anyway, right. anyway, yeah, let's move on right into video games and video we'll start games. with new releases and get out of the way. There's only one game being yeah. released this week. Let me let me just uh, adjust something here. There we go. New game release. New game release. <laughs> uh, Baldur's Gate 3 for the yes. PC, your sole release for the week. couple notes. This is just the PC version this week. But don't worry, PS5 owners. September 6th is the date for the PS5 version. However, Xbox users, I'm sorry, but this thing ain't coming out this year for you. You have to wait till 2024. Womp, 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 womp. All right, speaking of things that we have to wait for in 2024, Final Fantasy 14. Yes. Online. I know you're thinking, we're talking about Final Fantasy 16 DLC, but no, this is the online Final Fantasy 14, and it is finally set to arrive on the Xbox Series X and S. Xbox boss, Phil Spencer, made a surprise appearance at the Final Fantasy XIV Fan Festival in Las Vegas to announce that the game was coming to current-gen Xbox systems. The MMO will be officially launching in spring of 2024, but an open beta will be launching alongside the game's upcoming patch 6.5 update, which is likely due in the coming months. Also coming later, new DLC for yes. Final Fantasy XIV. So, yeah, this is kind of uh, a little 
seems like a little late uh, to announce it, but the fact that it is eventually coming to Xbox is kind of a big deal, considering that one of Phil Spencer's spoken goals as of when he was doing the interview circuit this past uh, few months was to kind of patch things up with Square Enix. I think that he realizes that their relationship with Sony and PlayStation is very, very strong. It's the reason why we see Final Fantasy XIV Online already having a PS4, PS5 version, and they're not being an Xbox version. It's also what leads to uh, the exclusivity window with Final Fantasy XVI that we're seeing right now, where an Xbox version is coming, but much later. And so, yeah, this makes sense that Phil Spencer is kind of extending an olive branch to Square and trying to make more deals come their way going forward. He says this is only the beginning of a new um, kind of era of relationship with them. I mean, it's always good to see Final Fantasy spread around to multiple people. (laughs) Um, Xbox is going to have to wait for Final Fantasy 16. Right. But yeah, uh, Phil, Phil Spencer... It's about time that he realized what they've been doing with Sony for the longest time. Yeah. About time. <laughs> about time. All right. Um, speaking of time, TikTok. Users are apparently now having beef with Activision Blizzard. Uh, well, so you say TikTok users, but if you're aware of who this is, this is actually a crossover story between video games and music. So Activision is suing a TikTok user after he threatened to sue them for using his content. According to the company's lawsuit, TikTok user Anthony Fantano, who goes by the name The Needle Talk on TikTok, contacted Activision in June, threatening to sue them for for using the audio from one of his TikTok videos. In the video, which is a TikTok duet, Uh, involving another previously recorded clip uploaded by a different user, Fantano watches someone cutting a pizza into progressively smaller slices, which results in him shouting, It's enough slices! The clip became a meme online and has reportedly been remixed and reused numerous times over the past two years, which Activision says was celebrated by Mr. Fantano. However... When Activision then used it, the It's Enough Slices audio in its own TikTok promoting Crash Bandicoot sneakers, Fantano contacted them and threatened to sue. Okay, so here's what's going on here. So if you're not familiar with Anthony Fantano, first of all, congratulations. Two, uh, (laughs) he is originally was a YouTuber who basically posted review videos of new music releases. He's a music guy. His, t- his uh, channel on YouTube is called The Needle Drop, thus The Needle Talk being his TikTok name. Um, he's a pretty popular guy. Like a lot of music people like look to him for opinions. Um, he's uh, cited a, a lot by artists who want actively him to review their stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So I was really confused when I saw this because I was like, wait a minute, that guy? I don't particularly watch his stuff because I'm like, the last thing I want to hear is another white guy with glasses tell me about music. I'm already a white guy with glasses. So I'm like, I don't need it. But I'd rather hear from other perspectives of what <laughs> I should be listening to. That being said, he is very influential. And so it makes sense for Activision to want to use his clips in their stuff. Uh, so after he threatened to sue them, 
they basically had a conversation with his representation. His representation, his representation gave Activision an astronomical number, basically, of millions of dollars in order to continue using his clip. The countersuit is Activision say, absolutely not. We're allowed to use this and we're suing you for basically like suing us. So it is a countersuit to basically say like, no, we're not giving you that money and here's why. And that's what let us comes see. down to who owns the clips. Is it the user mm -hmm. or is it TikTok? Right. And that's the thing. Activision's stance is, well, this is was given to us by TikTok as a list of free use clips. Though well, Anthony... no, fee use, not free. Fee use. Sorry, clips. yeah. Like you can you can use it. Like yes. basically, Activision was under the ex well, I endured the expectation from TikTok that this was something they could use in promotional materials free of charge. Fantano disagrees. Fantano says because he created the clip that TikTok does not own it, he does, and that they should pay him for use of it. Um, and that's where kind of the impasse is. Um, I would bet that this gets settled uh, because obviously Activision has a whole lot of more money than Fantano does, despite this, the the uh, popularity of his uh, media presence. Um, so yeah, I don't expect this to go very far. However, it does lead, if it does go to court, you're right. It does lead to potential precedent being set about who really owns TikTok clips. Um, I would be interested to see it go that far, if just so we can have a ruling there that determines going forward what happens when this stuff goes down but will we get that far probably not because i imagine a settlement is on its way but as it is quoted in legally blonde <laughs> it would be interesting to see if anthony fantano had issued other um <laughs> court uh, filings for other users because why why not go after those other users why now mm -hmm. why this clip I think it's potentially because of the big fish being Activision. Because it's Activision, and so out. they could be singled out. Um, there's a bigger debate right now. In fact, this week has kind of been a hotbed for the conversation about videos. That entire existence is to watch another video and comment on it. You see mm -hmm. it right now happening with a big uh, big um, uh, Twitch user. I'm not going to go into it now because it's not something we cover here. It's internet drama. We're not an internet podcast. Um, but... It's interesting comparing this case to that. Um, we'll see a lot more cases about people using clips from other things and who owns that clip and who gets paid for it and who should get paid for it going forward as we become a clip uh, economy, essentially, which is already happening. You mean what we talked about 10 years ago with <laughs> React videos? Yes, exactly. It's happening again. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's just going to continue happening until we have precedent. And we still don't have precedent legally. So we'll see. Uh, yes. Legally speaking, we don't touch it. We just comment on it. Yes. We're okay, though. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. This is probably when we should talk about real briefly about something that happened with, I mean, we're going to talk about the strikes later, or I guess talk around the strikes later. We actually don't have any specific strike-related stories today mm -hmm. for the first time ever. But we are going to bring them up peripherally. I think a couple of times. Um, I just want to mention yes, I am aware that this week uh, SAG AFTRA did issue certain new guidelines uh, in order for podcasts, specifically media podcasts, 
to stay in solidarity with the um, with the strike. Thankfully, I looked over everything, and I believe we here at the Media Boat Podcast are okay. So basically, the new guidelines were specifically for watch-along podcasts in which a podcast is talking specifically and breaking down an episode of television or a film. I listened to some of these podcasts. Well, they say that basically they, in, in solidarity, like in solidarity with the strikes, those podcasts should put a pause on it right now. We do not do that here at the Media Boat Podcast. When we talk about a film is just us saying, we watched it, here's what we think. We are not giving you like a scene by scene. This is what this means, and this is what this means. So I think we're in the clear. So I don't believe we have to stop talking about anything that we do here. Uh, did you see any of this this week? I saw it briefly. I didn't think it pertained to us because it, for me, it was mainly talking about promoting yes. certain clips, certain media and that's, um, that yeah. typically would skirt around their rules as actors who aren't supposed to be promoting their projects. Right. Ultimately, it does boil down to a promotion aspect. Since I don't believe anything we do is promotion, I think we're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I just wanted to bring it up just in case anybody was curious if it was being discussed on other media podcasts that they potentially listen to. That's where we're at with it. If anything changes, I'm going to be monitoring that. And of course, we will tailor our podcast around it. But I don't think we need, we have to quite yet. So I think we're good. I mean, we already tailor our podcast to Taylor. So <laughs> yeah, she's not on strike. So we're okay. <laughs> anyway, different kind move. of Taylor there. I mean, actually, Taylor Swift might have a SAG card because she, she has acted. She was in several movies. I bet she is SAG-AFTRA, actually, now that I think about it. Probably. So she just can't act in anything right now. That doesn't pertain to music videos, I guess. Or does it? It must not, because she was in... She released the music video for... um... For The Vault? Yeah, I can see you. Yeah. Yeah, I can see you. That was after the strike, I think. I don't know what the rules are for music videos. Maybe they're exceptions, just like game shows. I don't know. And voice acting. Yeah, Uh, voice acting. Alongside with that, um, I did see that since we're not, I don't have it written down here. um, In the next round, um, past this current strike, they're going to be looking at adding animators. Yes. To to their causes as well. Yes, they've already been pretty vocal about be, wanting to be part of this as they are also in a situation where they need to negotiate better terms. Uh, so yeah, it'll be really good to see uh, them get also get their voices out and heard. All right. So, but anyways. Now that we're already talking about television. Yes. <laughs> let's start, as we always do, yes. uh, one with both the strike content, but with the sports corner. Yes, thank you for taking the segue. I was getting there. Uh, Yes, Sports Corner, big sports week this week, as if you've been paying attention to Major League Baseball, you'll know that today, this very day that we are recording, is the trade deadline. As of a couple hours ago, it was officially closed. Pencils down. Yes, and man, were some moves made for some really big names in the league. First, let's talk about some big pitchers, because those were the big headline trades. We had some big moves. Max Scherzer went to the Texas Rangers. And today, almost at the buzzer, Justin Verlander 
went back to the Astros. Womp, 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 womp. Well, womp, womp for everyone in the AL West. <laughs> Seriously. Um, including the Angels. But thankfully, we also were um, part of some big trade news this week. We got a handful of uh, people, but most importantly, we got uh, star White Sox pitcher Lucas Giolito uh, to come over to our ranks. So he is, and he's already started for us. Uh, yep. Let's not talk and... about that game. But anyway. <laughs> And returner CJ Chrome back yes, on the Angels. Exactly. With uh, as we continue to deal uh, with the Rockies for some reason, they seem to be our <laughs> favorite our favorite team to trade with. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, ultimately those were the big headlines. Uh, we also had a couple of others, including Michael Lorenzen coming to the Phillies and mm-hmm. Jack Flaherty to the Orioles, um, and a smattering of other names here and there, uh, depending on where you are. So it was interesting to see which teams were sellers, which teams were buyers. What was your big takeaway of the of the trade here, the trades this week? Uh, lots of pitchers got moved around, so yes. be be on the wary for where your star pitcher is and who in your conference and division is now <laughs> you're going to face against. Yeah. Uh, one of the kind of funniest and interesting trades that I saw that got is the only one that I saw that got blocked. Mm-hmm. Uh, by which was Eduardo Rodriguez from the Detroit Tigers, yeah. Who, um, what who was initially placed on a trade and made a deal like the Tigers did to trade him to the Dodgers, but then Rodriguez, uh, Erod, as they call him, um, mm-hmm. initiated uh, in his contract the 10 team non compete clause, mm-hmm. in which the Dodgers were one of them. Got it. And so he was unable to get traded. <laughs> you saw something similar almost happen to Verlander, um, in which he had a non-trade clause that he had to mm-hmm. basically waive self. He had to basically say that he was personally okay with it before the teams made the deal. I mean, I, I too would be okay with going <laughs> back to my former team after making fifteen million or $20 million with the Yankees. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, um, yeah, ultimately it does seem to the story was really pitching, um, a lot of pitching changes, not a whole lot of hitters. I mean, notable, uh, notably absent from these conversations, of course, was Shohei Otani, who was announced basically at the a few days before the deadline to be staying with the Angels and not being offered for trade after all. So that's a little follow up from last week in which we still kind of questioned whether or not it was going to happen. Um, since then, though, he's been on the record saying he's pretty happy to uh, be given the option to stay. And the Angels seem to have signaled that they are going all out to make sure that in his presumably last season with the team, that they at least try to make a playoff run. Yeah. And one hilarious note that I saw on Twitter um, for that Max Scherzer to the Rangers, that he is officially the only player to have three different teams pay him $15 million or more to play for them. Damn. Get paid, Scherzer. Get paid. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, ultimately, yeah, not a whole lot of big hitters getting moved, I think, was was interesting about this trade deadline. Uh, so yeah, we'll have to see, ultimately, what this means for the rest of the season. There's still a lot of baseball to play, but it's getting tough, especially if you're trying to make it into the wild card ranks. Um, it seems like the people who are ahead in these divisions are way ahead. And so it's going to be mostly about the wild card going forward. Oh, yeah. Everyone's looking to the wild card because by yeah. now, um, the difference between a wild card spot and a for sure spot is about six games. Yeah. When you're talking about 
teams like the Rangers and like they're just so up yeah. out ahead of everybody that there's not really much you can do to keep yeah, up. Even like um the Tigers and the Blue Jays, six and yeah. a half games back from yeah. getting one of those secure spots. So yeah, um we'll see ultimately how this shakes out, but at least now we know who's gonna be on the teams uh going forward. Um <laughs> uh, oh boy, it's gonna be complicated. And for those of you who like really, really care about your individual team, do look at the um, minor leagues as well, because players were trading in there as well as compensatory picks and trades for certain players as well. Yep. Yep. Some teams seem to be more than happy to take um, minor league stars instead of risking their big names. Uh, I thought it was interesting how many of our, of the uh, angel prospects ended up now as rocky prospects uh <laughs> that i'm sure they're happy to develop so we'll see all right let's move on to other sports let's talk about football as the hall of fame game will be getting rolling this thursday the jets and the browns yep uh that game will also be featured on the upcoming episode of hard knocks which will be mm-hmm. next tuesday on the 8th so yeah. we will not be covering the jets hard knocks uh, next week because it'll air after we do this so following week mm-hmm. all righty and speaking of football if you have kids that are interested in the super bowl but one but like the big weird ass nickelodeon treatment that nickelodeon has been giving uh football games over the last couple of seasons well fear not they're in luck thanks to the rights this year being on cbs networks mm-hmm Nickelodeon will get a simulcast for the first time ever of the Super Bowl just for kids. So you will have the Nickelodeon treatment where there's slime and big effects and goofy eyeballs everywhere all over your Super Bowl game. Uh, They've been doing this for the past couple of years for both the playoff games and some specialty games during the the end of the regular season. Mm. But yes, this is the first time that the Super Bowl will be on a different network other than the uh, parent one. I think this is really smart. I think that this prohibits the kids from being bored out of their mind watching the Super Bowl at the Super Bowl parties. So yes. yeah, just put this on for them. Uh, I think it'll be an interesting alternative too for people who get bored with the normal uh, telecast and want to switch to something a little bit more I I the, like. Depending on who's in appealing. it, I yeah. want to see some slime touchdowns. Yes. <laughs> you'd love that and so, some yeah. more uh, spongebob field goals <laughs> oh yeah i want to have spongebob and patrick uh do the play-by-play for a for a cute couple plays <laughs> why not why not so that'll be interesting mm-hmm. moving away from uh professional football into college football we still are seeing shakeups in the college football associations colorado will be leaving the pac-12 and joining back to the big 12 starting in 2024 which is funny because they were in the Big 12 yeah. 10 years ago, right. and now they're going right back to it. So, yeah, who knows? But that's just this little, your little update. Uh, yeah, but this means that the Pac-12 has lost four, I think, official teams. Um, some of the other ones I've seen include both Washington and Oregon mm-hmm. having talks with the ACC to join them. That's right. Huh. Oregon and Washington, the two probably most Northwestern teams <laughs> outside of Northwestern, uh-huh. <laughs> um, 
in talks of joining the <laughs> Atlantic Coast Conference. <laughs> That's weird, and that doesn't make sense, and I feel like they should say no, but I don't understand. But if they it. have a bid, they get offered. If there's who money, who can say? Yeah, but it's not going to the players, right? That's the NIL. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, lastly in sports, let's talk about the Women's World Cup, which continues to cruise along. There are four more spots remaining uh, to fill out the bracket of 16. Teams currently in the 16 include Switzerland, Norway, Australia, Nigeria, Japan, Spain, England, Denmark, the Netherlands, Sweden, Colombia, and of course, the United States. Uh, Sweden and Colombia, even though it's not technically on the bracket yet, they will be the number one seeds for their respective groups because they have enough points. Um, Those remaining four spots is for one group and then the uh, second place for where Sweden and Colombia are. So uh, you've probably been paying attention more than I have. What does it look like right now for the U.S. women's team? Oh, they got roasted today. They played this morning. Well, technically, like at midnight yesterday, but this morning. Um, And even though it ended in a 0-0 tie, just everyone on social media, and especially some of the commentators, including former uh, women's national team players, just commented on how sloppy the play was and how they can't have this kind of game in the round of 16 going forward, especially since they will play Sweden, which has been sweeping and dominating their own competition. Yeah. So So it doesn't look great. It didn't look good today. Um, They were really lucky to get by with a win today, um, especially since one of the closest shots on goal from either team hit the post and bounced out. Otherwise, the U.S. would have lost. Mm. Uh, so super close uh, games. Um, it's intense. It's great. But, hey, that's the Women's <laughs> World Cup. Yeah. Um, the games will end. T- well, they'll play again tonight, technically, and then tomorrow. And then the first game begins on the 4th. Got it. For the round right. of 16. Well, we'll see what happens, but uh, fingers crossed. That doesn't sound like a great setup. No. Uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah, we played against Portugal this morning. Portugal, the woman, not the man. And <laughs> if we if we were to have lost this game, we would have been eliminated. Yeah. Yikes. Yep. Yikes. Well, we'll see. All right, anything else in sports before we move on? In sports entertainment this week, uh, nope. this Saturday is SummerSlam. Jay Uso will take on the bloodline that is um, Roman Reigns if you're so inclined and interested. Well, I'm not. So let's move on <laughs> to proper television news where we start with the Writers Guild, the WGA. This isn't a strike story, though. This is a story about a little shakeup at the top. Lisa Takeuchi Cullen will be the next president of the WGA East, succeeding Michael Winship who is not seeking re-election. Cullen, who is running unopposed in the guild's upcoming elections, will be his third female president and the first person of color to hold the post starting next month. She is a graduate of the WGA West showrunner training program, 
where she was recently uh, where she has recently served as co-executive producer on NBC's The End Game and was a writer and consulting producer on Law and Order SVU. She has also developed several drama series as part of an overall deal with Universal Television and streaming outlets. In 2020, she received the Richard B. Jablow Award for her service to the Guild. She previously worked as a foreign correspondent and staff writer for Time Magazine, and has published two books, so quite a resume uh, for Ms. Cullen. So, uh, yeah, good choice. She was also previously on the board for the uh, WJ East, uh, like their council, so this is her just stepping up and becoming their next president. Congratulations. Um, for those wondering, uh, Michael Winship served since 2007. Wow. Seven years in the post. So, Technically, he was going to resign in 2001, or sorry, in 2021, but agreed to stay on for two more years because it was following um, COVID mm-hmm. and with the upcoming um, and now negotiations, strike, yeah. negotiation that they wanted someone uh, with a firm stance and someone was a legacy in that lead position. That makes sense. And uh, what better time to do this when on the precipice of a new agreement at some point. <laughs> so, yeah. Good, but yeah, good. this was always his, well, technically his plan was to leave in 2021, but this was always his plan to leave after mm-hmm. this uh, seventh term, seventh, seven consecutive term as the WGA president. Yeah, it's a long time. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to our next story here, which takes us to space. Space, 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 space. space. You just did the same joke. All right. The federal space agency, NASA, is announcing a new NASA Plus streaming service that will bring. uh... Yeah, pretty cool. (laughs) That will bring on on demand, non sci fi space content. So actual, legitimate, real life space people uh, to TVs and mobile devices. And best of all, says the story, this is not me editorializing here. Best of all, NASA says it will be ad-free, no-cost, and family-friendly. You'll be able to watch live coverage of future launches, documentaries, and brand-new original series exclusively for NASA+. The agency is looking to, quote, better tell the stories of how NASA explores the unknown, unquote, and connect with more people by transforming its digital presence. That's according to Mark Etkind, NASA's Associate Administrator of Communications. Will you be watching some NASA Plus? I will, especially <laughs> if it's going to be a lot easier to find and watch, hopefully, yeah. live launches and live in-looks uh, at the different stuff going on in the space space program. Yeah. Um, it also be interesting to see what kind of program they actually put up there. I assume mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot of documentaries looking at like PBS and NOVA and yeah. Since NASA is a government body, it makes sense why yeah. it comes at no cost. It's part of the um, taxes that I pay for it. Yeah, no, it seems like a cool idea. And I think people who are obsessed with space, this will be a nice little resource for them. And um, I think it's so... a good way to get more people to be interested in space, especially if it's free. Yes. And you just say, hey, let's put this on. Or in classes, in schools, a lot a better and easier way to access this kind of information. True. Yes, it's a it's a good resource to have. Let's move on. You watched something. Oh, it did the thing where it's broken again. Hold it on. did the thing again. It's okay. Uh, it's probably twisted up because we. I watched. I don't know if you watched it. I watched Twisted Metal. Uh-huh. I know this is not a crossover with video games. Well, it, it is, is kind video. of. Well, it is. 
It is. Uh, it's the TV show on Peacock based on the video game of the yes. same name, Twisted Metal. Yes. Before uh, this... you go into it, what is your experience with the Twisted Metal games on PlayStation? I briefly played Twisted Metal 2. Okay. And then it was immediately revoked because my parents did not know what I rented for the week. <laughs> they saw you firing missiles at other people and they were like, absolutely well, not. Well, because on the box art, it was uh, just the car and explosions. Right. Like, oh, okay, racing game with explosions. No. Car no. combat game. <laughs> they did not know that. Yeah, you fire missiles at that at that dude who's like going like this between two giant wheels. That's what's <laughs> happening. Uh, I mean, it also didn't help that uh, like whoever was selling us at the time didn't realize that was an M-rated game. It's just like, okay, yeah, you're the adult here. You know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my uh, brief time playing Twisted Metal before it was officially banned in our household. Yeah, fair enough. But now you're your own adult and you can watch watch the Twisted Metal of the television show. So what'd you yes. think? Uh really, really, really confused <laughs> because it is a it's a TV show. How does this sound familiar? It's a TV okay. show. Yes. Based off a video game huh. set in a post-apocalyptic world yeah. where one man has to traverse a significant portion of the United States in order to retrieve something and bring it back. <laughs> I've heard this before. Right? Doesn't this sound familiar? It's like there's no one else. It's like he's the last of this. Of yes, it's the last of his kind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that's the premise of Twisted Metal. Okay. Where um, Anthony Mackie, yes, Captain yes. America himself, uh, must team up with... Uh, Stephanie Beatrix, um, Mirabelle Marigold herself, <laughs> uh, and traverse the desolate wasteland of the United States, uh, where outside of the major cities that are fortified is run with criminals and cars and guns, mm -hmm. and thus twisted metal. Right. Very loosely based off a of carnage game where the goal is to destroy your opponents. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, I think, it, unlike The Last of Us, which is a very drama, dramatized series. This, this is a comedy. This is a comedy. This yeah. heavily leans into the, we know how absurd this thing is that we are doing. We know how absurd the game is. So we're just going to lean heavily into the absurdity of this world, both yeah. in costume especially in language and the fact that, yes, we understand that this is a post-apocalyptic world, yet somehow these cars will never run out of fuel and we'll make <laughs> jokes about it. Right, yeah. Uh, I've only watched the first episode on this, but that's the, basically your, your basic premise of we're just going to do a cross-country road trip in cars and come across different gangs along the side in cars that will have to Destroy with explosions and flip and shit. Uh, meanwhile, cops are out there and Sweet Tooth is there, played by Samoa Joe. I mean, sorry, Bojack Horseman. As Will Arnett mm -hmm. does provide mm -hmm. the voice. Yes. But not the body. <laughs> right, yeah, that that's confusing already. Uh, so it's 
okay. Um, I put this up there with uh, Killing It, with it was also on Peacock. It's it's fine. It definitely leans into that more comedic like genre of we know what we're doing is absurd and just leans into absurdity in itself. So if you just want absurd explosions with cars and Stephanie Beatrix, you're going to have fun with this. Also, <laughs> Anthony Mackie, just quip after quip after quip. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, As for so, the show, it's fine, but yeah. like him, like understanding like what he's getting into with this, and just rolling with it, I think is he plays it great. It seems like it has the classic peacock problem, which is there are elements of it that seem to like they're going on the right track. There are talent behind it. There are people that you like and doing things that you would think you would want to see from them. But conceptually, does it all click? And it sounds like maybe not yet is the answer. Uh, it's, I don't know if it's the writing, but it's probably more in line with like the directing, the cinematography that yeah. in this dark world, a popular world, everything is still bright, brightly shot, brightly colored. We want you to see the absurdity instead of a dark brooding, everything is dark and intense. Yeah. Yeah. So Fair enough. It's, it's the other take of apocalyptic worlds interesting okay well uh all 10 episodes are up you can just binge watch the entire thing you have to have peacock to do it but yeah okay five dollars for unlimited oh uh recently i don't know if we covered this probably didn't peacock is updating their pricing point for the year ah fun yep well Elsewhere, though, I just want to mention real briefly, I have caught up on the after party and I just want to issue an apology for being so harsh on the pilot or the first episode of the season. You were right. I needed to give it some time because once it's gotten rolling, it's gotten great again. I really enjoyed the last two episodes. The noir themed one and the Wes Anderson riff. Yes. Were both perfect, perfect, like, like right on the dot satires of their things and it worked wonderfully and so now i'm back on board the characters are working are are clicking with me now and i'm back to be like oh yeah no this is great this is this is working again so i just need to give it time that's all that's that was case the version too with the rom-com setup it's just here's your baseline here's your fun here's what you basically need to understand before we start getting into all the different perspectives and how everyone views it um yes that was anderson one um Really very good. hilarious. Very, I was watching very, very with Christy, like when I was watching with Christy, she just kept we just kept looking at each other every time that a song would play, every time that they would make a choice and be like, "Yep, uh huh, mm hmm, uh huh." <laughs> just randomly, yep, <laughs> <laughs> like, yep, uh huh. This is when we're doing this. Yep, uh huh. Yeah, no, it was it was pretty well done. Um, so I'm excited to see what else they do this season. <laughs> All right, that's that update. Let's move on to cancellations and renewals shall we what am i no longer watching you're no longer walking watching friend you're no longer watching fantastic friends on the cw as that has been canceled after two episodes sorry unknown if remaining episodes will air i want to say this is one of the um canadian shows that they brought over got it we also had Suspicion on Apple TV Plus canceled after just one season. So no more suspicion. Renewals this week. We have 
Oh, sorry, I missed one. And also canceled this week, Hulu's Up Here. This was the one I was ta- I talked about that was the musical uh, premise where the person was uh, dealing with their inside voices, hence the name Up Here. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, didn't work. And sure enough, canceled after just one try. They're not going to do any more of that. But yes, renewals this week. The Righteous Gemstones is getting picked up for a fourth season in HBO. I'm sure you're yeah. thrilled about that. Still in the middle of its third season. Um, chugging along. Still chaos. Yep. But hilarious chaos. And Disenchantment will be confirmed to return for a fifth season, but it will be its last for Netflix. They've already um, uh, have it. It's already yep. in the can. The upcoming fifth season, which will be in September... Officially, it's last it's unknown if it'll be split up into a part one and part two. Yeah. Uh, probably will. But yeah, this season will be its last. All right. So that will be the end of that. Speaking of the end, we unfortunately do have some deaths to talk about. Uh, yeah, it's a rough, rough week uh, for a lot of reasons. Let's start at the top. First off, we have Bo Goldman, age 90, was a screenwriter. Wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Melvin and Howard, Scent of a Woman, won Oscars in 1975 and 1980, and the Laurel Award for Screenwriting Achievement in 1998. That is the Lifetime Achievement Award for Screenwriting. So yeah, definitely a storied and a lot of big movies there. So uh, quite a career and quite a life, age 90. Mm -hmm. Next up, this has been a sad one start. Not to say that that wasn't sad, but I mean comparatively um Sinead O'Connor age 56 super young singer of course known for nothing compares to you her big hit song a cover of a prince song originally songwriter of others as well including Mandinka and the Emperor's New Clothes and of course a body of work uh from when she was recording music also notable for a couple of other things she won a Grammy in 1991 but uh, most people of a certain age will remember um, her appearance on Saturday Night Live, in which during her uh, musical performance, she uh, tore a picture of the then Pope in half as a protest for then ongoing um, ongoing uh, alleged uh, sexual, um, let's say, mistreatment of young children in the Catholic Church. So. Only to ultimately be vindicated via the spotlight stories and subsequent, um, yeah. So yeah, there's a there's a hand a lot of stuff to talk about with Sinead O'Connor. Um, I she was always a great artist. She was always putting out very politically charged, personally charged art, and I think that the SNL thing distracted a lot of people from that. It became her narrative. It kind of took over her career. A lot of people say it ended her career. Um, she basically will, uh, in interviews, she responded to that always be like, well, no, they just reminded everybody of what the political work I was trying to do. It doesn't, didn't necessarily end it career. It was just a career correction because she said it was the moment where her art sh- shifted in a way from being just typical pop music that you'd expect from a pop artist to more this is the statement that I want to make. I want to be somebody who is making political statements. So however you re- like to read it, it did change the trajectory of her career and it did kind of 
pigeonhole her to a certain extent and to kind of put her in the lane of just a political activist and, uh, you know, for better or for worse. And it really depends on your view of success in music of whether or not that that was a career ending moment or not. It was unfortunate because, as you mentioned, uh, the stuff that she kind of that she was trying to tell everyone and people largely turned a blind eye to ended up being very true. And like you said, stuff like the spotlight uh, research at the Washington Post and ongoing. um, I swear, every three months, a new story comes out about a sweeping uh, statement about the Catholic Church in one location or another being part of a sexual abuse uh allegation it's just like happens every every three months and it seems to be a deep-seated continuous problem with the catholic church and it was then and it still is now and so yeah 30 years down the line almost like it's still uh an issue and yeah Sinead o'connor was on the the precipice of addressing it and trying to find out a solution to it so yeah i think um you know, we should remember her as an artist, we should remember her as an activist, but most importantly, we should remember her as being correct and being <laughs> right and just being like in which no one was ready to hear it. It was what we needed to hear. And we should be ashamed of the fact that we immediately just turned to make fun of it and immediately made it a joke instead of being thinking about what actually she was trying to say. So, yeah, definitely will be remembered and will leave a, quite a legacy. And it's really sad to see her go at such a young age. Yeah, 56. Uh, still like a second, entire second life of there that just ended. Next up, though, that's not the end of the sad news because we also had another sad one in the world of comedy. Paul Happened Rubens. Today. Yes. Uh, so Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, uh, died at age 70, apparently uh, due to a secret battle with cancer uh, that he had not made public. Of course, we all know him from Pee-wee's Playhouse, uh, you know, the movies in which that character was in, including Pee-wee's Big Adventure, um, but also Nightmare Before Christmas, movies like Blow. Um, unfortunately, just like Sinead O'Connor, Paul Rubens also had a career mired with big uh, controversies uh, that kind of derailed the trajectory of his career. The 1990-something, I forget forget which year specifically, 91, 92, incident of uh, public, what was the actual allegation? It was uh, public indecency, I believe, uh, for uh, being in a uh, a movie theater watching a, uh, let's say, a, uh, a film in which, well, you know, you do stuff, uh, <laughs> in which uh, he was allegedly... Um, yes, yeah. uh sex scandals yeah showing himself yes and so that kind of uh led to a lot of like a basically a derailment of his career then later allegations involving his ownership 91. of a 91 91 okay yeah. and then later allegations involving uh pictures that he owned of a young person in a sexually explicit um uh manner so this kind of never escaped him um and he never really got back on track as like a big piece of comedy, like uh, uh, whether it be movies, television or anything ever again, because of these things kind of being spots on his career. Uh, though I did see that um, upon his death, it seems like a lot of comedy people wanted to tri give tribute to him. I saw a lot of people opening up about how important um, Pee Wee's Playhouse was to their like, 
nascent comedy minds a lot of people saying that like oh yeah it was one of the reasons why i wanted to get into comedy was because i watched pb's playhouse growing up that kind of thing it was definitely a a uh like a signpost for a certain generation of future comedy stars who just all looked back at Pee Wee's Playhouse as being a big inspiration. And yeah, he definitely had an impact on, on comedy. I think at a certain point you saw a lot of, I saw a lot of commentary talking about how he was part of a general movement in the late eighties to kind of reclaim camp and like the absurd of in comedy. You saw him, his name brought up alongside like, uh, filmmakers like John Waters and other kind of movements at the time bringing like a absurdity back to comedy that maybe had been lost instead of just you know the dourness or the like or like it was it was fun it was a fun brand of comedy a creative brand of comedy that Paul Rubens was spearheading there and yeah and he will definitely remember be remembered for that and I think ultimately more than the more complicated issues of his personal life yeah, I mean, towards the end of his, um, I would say towards his life, or at least over the past like 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. he's been more or less popping up in different bit roles in TV shows. Yeah. Um, you also probably didn't know that it was him when he popped up until <laughs> the credits roll. I was like, oh, wait, that was him. Right. But yeah, um, I think because a lot of people, as you mentioned, have the the image of him doing Pee Wee's at Pee Wee's Playhouse that right. for him to do like other roles, especially more serious or dramatic roles just through people from like realizing that he he was an actor who had range. He could do the the dramatic with the comedic. Yeah. So yeah, definitely will be remembered uh, for sure. Let's move on to the last one. Ooh, brutal one. Uh, Angus Cloud, age 25. Actor uh, most recently known for his role in Euphoria, but also in North Hollywood and The Line. Um, Yeah, this one we know. I don't believe we know cause of death quite yet. Uh, but what we do know is that there were, um, it was potentially due to uh, kind of just having to, him having to deal with the death of his father uh, fairly recently and how that maybe affected him. Um, it seems like that seems to be what the, the kind of the, the connections people are making with the, with the, with the death here. Uh, regardless, though, that is super, super young. He seemed to be an up-and-comer. A lot of people were talking about um, his future as an actor and how strong he is on Euphoria. I saw one um, article, particularly from yesterday, or maybe that was earlier today, basically saying, like, arguing that Euphoria is not a great show, but the best moments were because of his performances, and that he was one of the strongest parts of that ensemble cast. And to see him go so so young and so soon into the run of that show is just very very sad and it's just it just seems brutal yeah definitely an outpouring from the um, actors uh just i mean 25 super young so young truly like it's just yeah it's just it's it's really sad to think about uh but yeah. now we've turned to the box office yeah i don't know how you pivot out of that one jeez <laughs> But yes, we do need to move on to movies and we will move on to the box office numbers and surprise, surprise, no surprise. We called this last week. Barbie hangs on to your number one spot this week with $93 million. Moving to a beautiful $351 million domestic, just becoming easily the biggest smash of the year. I want to say it's at $750 worldwide right now. 
yeah that will be a probably a billion dollar movie when this is all said and done which is quite a big deal for something that was probably not that expensive to make so congratulations to everyone involved i don't uh, know if 795 you saw... million dollars worldwide yeah i don't know if you saw my tweet uh, but <laughs> i witnessed the most los angeles conversation about barbie i've ever <laughs> heard in my life uh so uh friend of the show and of course uh constantly brought up uh christy and i went out went um to the hollywood bowl on um sunday night yeah sunday night and uh while we were there i overheard a couple of a couple of uh very los angeles looking uh 20 somethings and they were having a conversation about barbie and one of them said like yeah they gotta be like super rich now right like greta and margo got points on the back end <laughs> <laughs> I had to explain what that meant to Christy on the way home, but um, <laughs> yes, kids. Yes, they are probably very, very rich now. <laughs> anyway, so yes, uh, Barbie is your number one movie. Yeah, Marco Robbie probably before this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Greta Gerwig, congratulations. Yeah. Oh yeah. Two no. weeks in a row. <laughs> congratulations. Oppenheimer right behind it with another $46 million. That's 174 right now domestic. It's still respectable, especially if you can consider what that budget probably was. Probably decent, but it'll make it. It'll make its money. Then at number three, Haunted Mansion debuts to a measly $24 million, probably because it didn't anticipate that these movies would be as big as they are. Hmm. Number four, Sound of Freedom, another $12 million. That's at $149 million for some reason. Number five, rounding out your top five, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, another 10 million, that's at 139. Probably also disappointing um, in the grand scheme of things. In case you're wondering what your other debut this week, number six, Talk to Me with $10 million. A uh, horror movie will make horror movie buddy. Yeah, turns out. Mm -hmm. No matter what you do. New releases this week. Release two singular. Big ones. No, two big ones you have here for the fourth. Um, I guess technically, yeah. Yeah, two big ones: one for the kids and one for who knows. Uh, the shark heads. The end I of guess. summer. The Meg one for Shark Week. Yeah, <laughs> the Meg is back in the Meg Two: The Trench. Um, Apparently, saw... it is not the only thing in the water this time. No. No. Turns out, they there's more. I saw the trailer for this and I was like, yeah, that looks like a a stupid good time. So the Meg two, but most importantly, yes, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem, which is yet another reboot of the franchise, but this time with a cool, unique animation style, and it seems like a push to actually make it matter in a Spider-Man across Spider-Verse kind of style. Um, it seems like they're really trying, like putting some heft behind this, and uh, with Seth Rogen's name slapped on it, um, I really, really want people to see it. Yeah, a lot of big name actors in this that are supporting actors and not in the lead roles, despite what, what some people may think. Yeah. Uh, but I think they are really leaning into the teenage part of the Mutant Ninja Turtles and actually casting young actors yes. in those lead roles. Um, it seems like they get, get big plans for it going forward as well. They're already going to spin off it, uh, spin off these characters into a television show after this this happens um but yeah it seems like early buzz is pretty positive people in the animation world are especially hyped for it so hey it could be pretty cool who knows 
uh, probably won't be checking it out, but it'll be on Paramount Plus soon. It might be a, yeah, it might be a streaming special when we get there, but um, mm-hmm. we'll see. Let's move on into some movie news for you so we can wrap up the show today. We start with Sony. Oh, wow, it did the thing again, didn't it? Hold on. It, yeah, it did the thing again. But anyway, Sony was in the news. Sony did. Hold they on, did hold a on. shuffle. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm getting the there. They did the <laughs> shuffle. <laughs> so if you recall, we talked last week about Disney possibly uh, moving some of their schedule back due to lack of promotion options. Well, Sony is actually pulling the trigger on this, starting with Craven, which is shifting from a planned October 6th release back to August 30th, 2024. The push to next Labor Day was considered vital, as leading man Aaron Taylor Johnson would need to engage in a worldwide press tour to promote the film, and he can't do that when he's on strike. A planned sequel to Ghostbusters Afterlife has also been pushed, this time from its December 20th, 2023 Christmas window to Easter weekend next year. March 29th, 2024. So the idea is that both of those films are essentially in the can. They're completed Mm -hmm. or more or less editing to completion to a final cut, but can't promote them if you don't have the actors. So they're waiting. Meanwhile, a Karate Kid reboot has also been pushed from June 7th, 2024, all the way to December. Uh, And the Blumhouse project, They Listen, has now updated from a planned August 30th, 2024 opening. Meanwhile, the biggest fish in the pond, Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse, the third, of course, in the blockbuster Lord and Miller animated franchise, has been removed from the 2024 release calendar completely. It was meant to meant to open in March 29th, but, quote, due to unions work stoppage orders, unquote, the voice cast cannot complete dialogue recording in time for the spring opening. That's according to a Sony source. You might be wondering, wait a minute, I thought voice acting was okay, not for theatrical films. There's a difference there. Um, so yeah, this also uh, kind of comp- uh, uh, complements previous reporting from sources saying from the animation perspective that there was no way the movie was going to be finished before the deadline anyways. So this is, gives Sony another excuse to postpone it as opposed to trying to rush it out as soon as possible. So instead of having these two different kind of separate issues, as you mentioned, for Beyond the Spider-Verse saying the animators can't do it and now that the actors can't voice it, mm-hmm. are they actually the same problem that the animators were worried because they wouldn't be able to get the voice acting done in time? It's possible that they, yeah. Yeah, they, they're enmeshed enough that it might be combined, all those things. But really, the story here is the studios are terrified of releasing things without doing a traditional uh, media blast, essentially, like the way the way they want to do it with the actors doing interviews. That I don't know what's going to happen then if they they can't just not put out movies though. Like, sure, they do this with their biggest films, but nothing's going to be able to be promoted. So I don't know what I the mean, move is. I don't know what they're going to do because that will definitely hurt like the stock prices and just their yep. overall like outlook for the rest of the year. That if you can't release within the yeah. fiscal year, what are you going to have for profits and bonuses? Do you not think about your bonus <laughs> structure, guys? Yeah. Come on, you got to release something. It's almost like they maybe should just talk to the unions and make a deal. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I'm just talking crazy talk here. I know, but. Perhaps that's what they need to do. But anyway, 
Let's move on to another strike adjacent story here. We talked last week about uh, interim agreements being allowed by SAG-AFTRA to let certain productions continue work. Right, as long as they followed the recent um, mm-hmm. submission from SAG-AFTRA for their um, their guidelines going forward. Yes. Well, some actors are pushing back against this, including actors who are in films that were given passes, including Viola Davis, who in a surprising move, has become one of the first to visibly back away from a project for the duration of the actors and writer strikes, even after the interim agreement was given and was and was part of like the decision to start production. This is for the film G20. She said, quote, I love this movie, but I do not feel that it would be appropriate for this production to move forward during the strike. End quote. News of the move on Davis's part comes one week after Brad Pitt backed away from Apex, a Formula One film that Joseph Kosinski is helming for Apple. The situation highlights the uncertainty for stars at this time who must choose if they can accept the optics. While an interim agreement for one project would put hundreds back to work, choosing it might well result in accusations of scabbing. We already talked about this last week. We talked about some art, um, some actors already being very vocal about like, I don't care if they got an agreement, they're still working while we're on strike. And it does bring into question of the definition of what solidarity truly means when you're doing work in a union. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it is kind of the different aspects of fighting a strike, which is, is it an all or nothing thing? Mm-hmm. Or is it a, if you abide by our... Um, was it offer then you can play with us like yeah if that's how it's going to be yes i mean there's two sides to that point of yes it's great that like you can have the sag after say hey if these small studios are able to say yes we'll take you up on your deal why can't you big studios do the same thing but then also if these if these actors are working over here and getting paid what are we doing over here striking when we could be working mm-hmm. and getting paid Right. And really is going to depend on individuals to make that decision for themselves. And ultimately, Viola Davis and Brad Pitt made the choice for themselves to be like, well, it just doesn't seem like the right choice when there's so many people out there that are like on the picket lines actively and Mm -hmm. talking about solidarity. And, you know, it's going to depend. So, yeah, it's going to be complicated as long as the strike goes on about whether what can and should take place. And we're going to continue seeing this debate. Uh, but there was some good news on that front, though, that I saw Seth MacFarlane donated $1 million to uh, the Actors Fund, or it was, nice. it was formerly the Actors Fund, whatever it is right, now. Right, the entertainment fund we talked about last week. Uh, different fund. That was The Rock. Oh, okay. Yeah. So The Rock donated to one fund for a million dollars, and now Seth MacFarlane has donated $1 million to a separate fund. All right. Well... The good news is, is that if you just want to watch some movies, there's never been a better time. There's a lot of stuff out, <laughs> and you're going to talk to us about some of them. Where would All you right. like to start? Let's start with the big movie and the big release, um, and the one I probably should have talked about last week, but didn't get around to it as a double feature. Barbie! Yes, the movie on everybody's lips. Nobody can stop talking about this. To the point where, like, I can't read anything until I see it because I'm just, like, trying to avoid spoilers as best as I can. Ah, uh, dang. I, yeah. I forgot. I should I should have my Barbie cup right here. <laughs> we got a Barbie cup with it. Um, 
should have brought it. Uh, but Barbie finally saw it. Um, little afternoon date night afternoon, uh, and surprisingly funny. I don't know if I was expecting it to be that funny, especially coming from Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, two very mm -hmm. serious dramatic writers. <laughs> <laughs> I think written comedies. Yeah, like they're dramedies. But to like yeah, have like actual like gut busting laughter and <laughs> gags and innuendos and just all the comedic tropes and especially breaking of the fourth wall multiple times to the point that at one point they just literally cut out everything and just talk directly to the audience, which is a smart choice, by the way. Um, just the way they, the way it was both written and shot and directed, just praise everywhere. It is a great movie, not just for the women, but for the men and the <laughs> children. Uh, it's, funny it's heartfelt it'll make you laugh it'll make you cry <laughs> and by the end it'll make you just kind of like give you a step back and just look around and be like what did i just watch and is this really like talking to me in a way that a barbie movie is meant to be talking to me uh lots of layers uh, mm -hmm. One thing that I really, really like about this film is that it has a lot of layers, a lot of meaning, and a lot of depth to it. Uh, I can see, one, because it's runtime, uh, but two, just from the content of it, of one, word of mouth, and two, people seeing it and encouraging other people to go see it, why it has the box office numbers that it has. It definitely lives up to that hype, and I think that it playing on the uh, Barbenheimer having two very strong auteur directors directing these film projects just puts their stamp on what would otherwise could have been seen as just studio cash grabs, but instead both Oppenheimer and Barbie are auteur films meant to make statements, and mm -hmm. it's why we love film. They're telling you a story, but they're also telling you how life can be, how complicated life can be and just the inner turmoil that people live with on a daily basis both these films cover both of those categories <laughs> in completely different ways yet they both leave you with these kind of think pieces and when a film can do that and has the power to do that it separates itself from the rest of the pack I mean, not to just fall back on the, you know, the meme conversation, because that's what everybody has fallen back on for the last mm -hmm. month. But it is interesting that you're saying you're kind of touching on the reason why I think that combining these two movies into one kind of monolithic big movie is has resonated so much with people, because you're right. I think they both are talking about the, like the entirety of life, but from two different perspectives, almost like two different situations that seem diametrically opposed but when you actually like think about the messages they have more in common than you think like with what they're trying to do and what they're trying to say because humanity is universal ultimately at the end of the day um but at it's... least one's a lot lighter and funnier <laughs> and the other one is barbie it's the other so, one's uh, pink. <laughs> so, so um, I I'm trying to be careful here because I, I'm trying to avoid spoilers, and I feel like what you've already said is like pretty much what we can say, like without getting into the spoilers. 
it is um final thoughts on it without getting too spoilerly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh it is a self-fulfilling journey mm-hmm. um through the lens of Barbie that ultimately ends in probably the most uh defining thing a woman could do. Hmm. Right. And that's Barbie. So yeah. So. Uh yeah. Um uh, if your friend yeah. hasn't if your friend or your social media hasn't already convinced you to go see this i don't think i did a good job of it but hey another voice adding onto the pile of yeah make sure you see this film i think next week when i've seen it i think we'll be able to have a better conversation about it uh but until then um yeah like i think uh, from what i've been able to gather is yeah the thing it it set out to do it does a good job of it and it is surprisingly heartfelt and universal in the way that it does it and uh but i think what we can say though how were the performances and direction? So uh, how's Margot Robbie in this thing? Uh, really good. Really fun. Uh, really bubbly. Uh, as we've talked about on this podcast before, if you've been a long-time listener, this role mm-hmm. originally was supposed to be Amy Schumer. Right, like, yeah. Three years time. ago when the first project was first announced. And what a difference I think actors make. I think there's why there's such a different range in, in actor capability especially when you get your name up there and what considered like a list s list b list tier um because this film i think could very easily especially with its content and if it's not delivered correctly very easily have just been a well what do they think they're doing but with giving mm-hmm. it to the right hands even the right care and the right kind of um several revisions <laughs> yeah um it can be turned into such a gem. Um, Ryan Gosling as Ken, great, hilarious. I do like a lot of the celebrity cameos um, throughout the film, especially all the different Barbies uh, and Michael Sarah's Alan, hilarious. <laughs> it is yeah. only in there for like 10 minutes tops. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's just a fun, fun journey. I think everyone hits their mark. Will Ferrell, surprisingly hits the the right line between both maniacal CEO and comedy goofball <laughs> to where like, oh, I hate you, but damn, you're just so funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the acting is great. Um, I, it has a lot of good back, both background gags and foreground gags of like, hey, like I had that, or I remember that, or yeah, that product was discontinued. That guy was also discontinued. That product was discontinued. Lots of these things were discontinued, yet they're here. They must have gone deep into the catalog of Barbie. Much of the same way uh, the Super Mario Brothers did with, hey, here's all these like background gags that you can see and like, no, that will not just like thrust into your face, Mm -hmm. but also like at times make a point of why this stuff is here. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, yeah, just overall, they... They did their homework, they made a great script, and it turned out really, really, really well. Well, good. Yeah, no, I haven't heard anything but positive stuff about it, so I'm I'm pretty psyched to watch it finally uh, when I find a showing that's not full. (laughs) (laughs) So, working on it. Yep. All right. But there's other movies happening in the movie ether here. Yeah, stuff that you don't have to go to a theater to. In yeah. fact, you can watch it at home. 
but should if I? you have Apple TV Plus. <laughs> <laughs> but should I, I think is the question. Yes. Uh, so the one on Apple TV Plus currently is called The Beanie Bubble, about the Beanie Baby Bubble of the yes. uh, 80s and 90s. And it uh, not specifically told from um, the main guy's Ty's perspective, T.Y. Did you call them T.Y. Beanie Babies or did you call them Ty Beanie Babies? Uh, you know what? That? I actually don't remember. What is the official answer? The official answer is Ty. Ty, okay. But because uh, yeah. they're always capitalized next to each other, each other, I always call them T.Y. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember what we yeah. called them. Uh, watching this movie, like, uh, that's when, like, they say, like, these are Ty's Beanie Babies. Like, <laughs> no, there's no S. So it's always T.Y. Beanie Babies. <laughs> but no, apparently it is Ty Beanie Babies. Um, so just, a, it's a story, um, uh, not of the founder, uh, but of three women throughout his life and told through their kind of perspectives and influence on the company. Um, and it goes back and forth, yo-yos, between the 1980s, 1983 specifically, and 1993, about a 10-year mm-hmm. gap, just goes back and forth between when it was first started and the company of... Thai um, stuffed animals kind of like became mm-hmm. in the early 80s to 1993 where the actual Beanie Babies came into play and the kind of craze behind it. So it pings pongs back and forth between both the company itself and then the actual Beanie Baby bubble and explosion in popularity. Uh, so in order to tell the whole story of the Thai company, this billion dollar stuffed animal company <laughs> and if you watched a lot of other uh, other films on apple tv plus like air like tetris uh this falls right in line with those kind of films where it's a story about capitalism and why it's good and how this bubble happened and this kind of pop cultural zeitgeist happened but also capitalistic tendencies (laughs) around eBay. And, hey, if we sell this product, why do other people get to then sell this product at like 10 times the cost? Mm -hmm. And why should they be able to do that? We should shut them down. Hey, if this person's promoting uh, Beanie Babies, but they have no affiliation with us, can we sue them to stop them from doing that because they're talking about our product and not officially our spokesperson? So uh, mm-hmm. lots of stuff like mm-hmm. that too, corporate stuff that like is like early and new on that time, especially around these like breaking of the internet, how it's like a wild, wild west, nothing's like you don't anyone anything can go. Um, like eBay, like web pages, like selling stuff directly online. So mm-hmm. um it's interesting and fun in that aspect, but it's also with the forefront of this is a billion dollar company we are talking about. Right. Yeah. Does it capture that having lived through this era? Uh, does it capture the vibe of what it was like to be part of that? Did you have Beanie Babies growing up? Were you part of the the, the fad, you could say? Um, I didn't have a lot of Beanie Babies mm-hmm. um, because they were seen as girly or whatever that means. <laughs> Did your sister have any? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Okay. Because, <laughs> you know, birthdays come around and just, hey, I can get you this $10 beanie baby and you'll be happy with it. Uh, but yeah, it definitely goes into like the marketing, like mm -hmm. in the '90s section. Definitely more of the marketing side of like why they became such a we must grab them and like the cultural zeitgeist for it, right? Uh, but never into the actual mad Russian dash of okay, like someone's on the hunt for certain Beanie Babies. So if I'm somebody that just thought that, like for example, Tetris was just okay, does this do a better job? of like evoking that kind of moment is it like more fun or is it just about the same uh i think it's more fun because zach alfanakis who plays uh ty the creator definitely is not taking this seriously i think that's kind of the point is that yeah. he's definitely seen as the man child behind the big business but still is a man child even after <laughs> having literally all the money in the world interesting okay and the last thing I will say about this, because I saw a clip that confirmed this and it made me mad. They didn't even try to make the, the, the Beanie Babies look anything like the original Beanie Babies, right? Because they couldn't get the IP. But when I saw what they had, I was like, that is the opposite of what a Beanie Baby is. It's not a big fluffy thing. I was mad. Oh, that, no, no, that, that's what it was originally. <laughs> Before, before that's what I'm saying. That's why it's the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. The 80s is the big fluffy cat that you're okay. thinking of. That's later, the, that's the Thai um, like company. Yeah, does it look closer to a Beanie Baby in the 90s? Yes, hat? in the 90s. Okay. Yes, you, you, the clip you saw was about the 80s. <laughs> okay. I thought for a second I was 90s. like, they want me to believe that that is a Beanie Baby. They are wrong. <laughs> but no. I get it. They can't have the, the actual designs, and I understand that, but. So, right. disappointing. Disappointing. Right. Uh, do you want to say anything about Beanie Baby? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no nope, comment. Nope. Just, just, just a thumbs up. <laughs> Were you really talking about it when I walked in? Yes. That was meant to be. I will say it brought me back a lot of nostalgia from that era as a mm -hmm. big Beanie Baby. Um, collector. Collector. Yeah. Yes, you kept stopping and talking to me like, "Hey, like we like I we had that one and, and that one." <laughs> yeah, we were really. My family was very into it, so yes, my dad would always be in different airports traveling for work, and he and my mom would be like, "Oh, which ones do they have?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. but yeah, it wasn't much more of like the collecting that you saw, like in the movie. It was just briefly touched upon. Well, so yeah. it was like about the, the corporation itself. It was, but it was interesting to kind of see the background because like you didn't really know what was going on behind the scenes. As yeah, much. but I did like that. It was, like I said at the beginning, I did like that it was from like the three main female perspectives who helped influence the That's company. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, cool. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll talk to Christy and see if she wants to check that out. But it's not the only thing you watched. No, because I hate to break it to you, but they cloned Tyrone. They cloned Tyrone? Yes, on Netflix, they cloned Tyrone. Well, okay. Uh, this is from first-time director uh, Jules Taylor. Jules Taylor? Jules Taylor. No S. Um, he's uh, directed a couple of other stuff, uh, mainly TV series, but his first film director. He's also uh, written... Uh, screenwriter credit on Creed 2 and uh, Space Jam, A New Legacy. 
So this is his first film, both written and directed by, um, for Netflix called They Cloned Tyrone. Mm-hmm. It is a sci-fi thriller kind of mind-bending piece starring John Boyega, uh, Jamie Foxx, and Tayona Paris, and Kiefer Sutherland. Randomly. Uh, <laughs> randomly in there. Uh, I I kind of don't want to get too heavy into this about like what it's about, but because uh, I don't know, is it weird to say that there's a twist ending? Um, it's just a sci-fi movie, but basically, hmm. uh, John Boyega, Jamie Fox, and Tayona Paris are a drug dealer, a pimp, and a um, self-proclaimed um, dancer. Okay. Um, who stumble upon a conspiracy within their town of mind control for their pop uh, within the population, and uh, between them they uncover a conspiracy that this may or may not actually be happening. Um, and it goes pretty widespread, and that they get the whole town behind them to try and uncover the meaning of what exactly is happening. Um, basically, your exciting incident is that there's a hit put on John Boyega, and he dies. Uh, Jamie Foxx sees him die. So imagine his surprise when he sees him the next day. Oh, no. So that's that's your basic premise of they clone Tyrone, of why did they clone him again? Like, yeah, Are you a clone? Are you the real person? Who was the other person before? Are you real? Are you an android? What's going on here? And it definitely has a lot of layers and meta commentary, especially around both uh, the black population, uh, around conspiracy theorists, around government experiments, and around um, basically uh, assimilation and annihilation. Mm-hmm. So lots of heavy themes in here in this sci-fi film. Uh, it's on Netflix. It does take a while to get going. Um, that first act, uh, the first act structure, definitely takes a lot to set up because it establishes a lot of like everyday daily life before just the absolute absurdity of everything kicks into in the second act, and then mm-hmm. the actual what the hell did I just watch in the third <laughs> act? Especially when you get to the end, it's like, well, why is it called They Clone Tyrone? And it's not until the very ending does the name finally pull all the way back and into focus that you see, wow, this is a crazy messed up movie and I could not stop watching it. <laughs> I mean, just a name like that already is very evocative. You're like, okay, I want to watch this to find out what this means. And it seems like it does a good job of kind of slowly unraveling the mystery for you that it really sells it. So it sounds pretty good. It, it kind of is. Um, it's definitely, like I said, after that first act, it definitely gets going. Like once you get up to John Boyega getting killed and then his clone appearing, that's when you That's when you're like, wait, I just saw this, didn't I? You start having this question, like, wait, is this a new person or is this like a Groundhog Day kind of thing? Yeah. So, but because we know that it's called they clone Tyrone, that it's kind of like okay, so you know kind of what's happening, but it doesn't give away anything. Until the very end. Hmm. Wow. So there you go. So you'll have to solve the mystery yourself by seeing it. 
uh yeah but like i said first yeah for a first sound director um really well done really well shot definitely keeps that veil of mystery and the way it's shot is definitely in that kind of 70s kind of black exploitation kind of vibe too mm-hmm. um more recently if you've watched last year's uh winning time about the mm-hmm. lakers and how it had like that very grainy look yeah same thing's going on here where it has that very 70s um different cult definitely different colors definitely that kind of very grainy film uh act um inspiration yeah within this as well okay okay cool Cool. So that's they cloned Tyrone. Yep. What else do we got? One uh, last one, right? Yes. Like I said, I watched Legally Blonde. <laughs> it doesn't count. Okay. Well, after I, I think I bring it up because after I watched Legally Blonde, it said, "Hey, you might like this other film." And this other film was eighty. Uh, for Brady, I didn't type the rest here. I was so confused because all you wrote was eighty. No, because like I wrote it on my phone. So, no, because I wrote it on my phone. So, so this came out earlier yeah, in the yes. year. Yes. This was, uh, I think, a, like a January or February release. Uh, 80 for Brady. The uh, old old ladies on their quest to the Super Bowl. Yes. Um, kind of the same vein as the book club mm-hmm. uh, and Palms of recent, where kind of that kind of the same vibe of ladies in their senior who want to go on one last big adventure. Yeah. It's kind of stupid. It's kind of ridiculous. I will say it is very loosely based on a true story in the essence that, yes, there was a group of ladies who did go to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And in between, (laughs) we're going to embellish a lot of what happened. Yeah. It was fun. It was dumb, but it was fun. Yes, it's dumb fun. <laughs> it's dumb fun. Yes. I mean, you liked it because it had both Gronk Erotica <laughs> and Guy Fieri. And Tom Brady. Yes, and Tom Brady. I mean, and apparently, according to the lore of this film, one of the ladies is the reason that Tom Brady beat the Falcons after coming down 28 to 3. <laughs> Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but I'd like to believe it. (laughs) According to the lore of this film, that is exactly what happened. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, um, as ridiculous as that is, is also probably not the most ridiculous thing in this film. Okay. But yeah, that's your kind of your expectation is I'm just going to have a ridiculous time with this film and watch some uh, at at one point, the A class actors just having a ball with each other. Well, we'll see. <laughs> it's dumb fun. It's definitely yeah. dumb fun. But hey, it's also just in time for football season. I mean, kind of a little early, but yeah, almost. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, it, it came out early this year, but now that it's on streaming, uh, we watched it on uh, Prime. It's available if you are subscribed to it. So good to know. Part of if you have Prime, you get eighty for Brady with it. Well, use responsibly, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that then will do it. Unless you've seen other any other movies that we need to talk about. Uh, no. Okay. Well, I, I try trying to continue with the Wes Anderson run 
<laughs> uh, films for my doctor. Uh, we'll we'll see if we get some more in this week. Perhaps. All right. But in the well, meantime. But in the meantime, thank you for joining us here at the Media Vote Podcast. We do this every week, so we're going to be back next time. A week from today, maybe, depending on if emergency uh, Audible has to be called, speaking of football, um, to watch this space. But in the meantime, we will be back at some point next week. Thank you for joining us. If you want to see us in video form, you can go to our YouTube channel. Just search Media Boat Podcast, and it'll take you there, just like the, the Rugrats movie. Take you oh, there. I think I actually updated that, too. So, cool. where, so if you search uh, YouTube dot com slash media boat that works now i think that works now sweet all right we're, we're at better. media boat podcast at media boat podcast cool so check that out if you want to see our videos if you rather hear us in your ears in audio form we offer that as well you can tune into any audio podcast lis- uh, listening device and service that you choose and search media boat podcast we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you listen, we're there watching you. No, no, we're not watching you. You can just listen to us. We're also on social media. We're on the artist formerly known as Twitter, um, at MediaBoatCast, so you can find us there. We're on Facebook if you search MediaBoat Podcast as well. We're on Twitch.tv playing the occasional video game on MediaBoat, on Twitch.tv slash MediaBoat. You can also find a... Uh, weird list of all our episodes on imdb you can find us in a discord that has zero members and you can find us (laughs) and i think that's it oh yeah and you can email us questions uh and comments or anything you want to know about the the show mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com oh yeah and you can go to mediaboatpodcast.com to see our written stuff as well as an archive of our shows so that will do it for this week thank you for joining us we'll be back Next time for more Media Boat Podcast, maybe a meteor discussion about Barbie or whatever else happens, uh, news and new releases and so on. Yep, we'll be back with more news, more thoughts, maybe more of us. We will find out next time. <laughs> funny, very funny. But yeah, right, it might bye. just be me, <laughs> but we'll see what happens next week. Big All week. right, bye. All right, bye. <laughs>